0: everyone and welcome back to it's happening again isn't it a true crime podcast i'm your host asua and welcome back to my og listeners and to my new listeners thank you for tuning in today um i promise sound and content only get better from here on out so i have something special for you guys coming in the fall that i'm so excited for and possibly possibly at the end of summer And I'm definitely the type of person to tell you a secret just because I'm so excited. um, But I won't for now. And just side note, like I've been playing with my audio for about an hour right now. Because lately I've been having a lot of white noise. And I'm really, really trying to figure out like what is the root of all of that. Uh, So please bear with me. And remember that... I'm a a smaller creator uh, and I'm just trying my best, but don't worry. I got you guys. I'm going to keep recording. I'm going to see how I can fix the different problems. If some of you out there know like technology a little bit better and like when it comes to recording stuff, please let me know. I am super interested in hearing what you guys have to say so um here in seattle if you are from seattle it's been literally hell like 90 degrees and it's it's terrible 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 but at least i finished summer school um but i guess i mean i was also in ac in the school so you know pros and cons but supposedly it's gonna stop next week so i'm really looking forward to that um i don't know about you guys but personally fall over everything spring i don't know for me it's just summer it's just it's too hot like it's nice to go do things nice to go be with family and stuff but it's it's too much for me you know like i wish it was just at tops 80 degrees perfect um even 75 i think that's even better but that's just me personally anyways moving on today on our episode i'm covering a really interesting case and again it includes a native american legend and i just wanted to do this one to give us a little bit of a break of the heavy crimes that i've been covering lately i hope that you guys are enjoying the mexican legends that i've put out there and native american legends Please let me know if you guys are enjoying it. I definitely am interested in doing more of that type of content. Um, But of course, I'm not going to stop talking about cases that I think are underrepresented in the media. And if you guys still have cases that you would like to refer to me, I definitely want to look into them. I had a listener, like I told you guys last episode, reach out to me with a case And I've been looking into it. Um, I've been trying to get in contact with her, but I don't know. Gmail is being weird, but I'm more than happy to connect with any of you uh, when it comes to figuring out like different information about the cases that you guys want me to cover. I'm totally there for it. But yeah, um, today, like I said, it includes a Native American legend, but the setting is in Canada, and I will be covering a true case. This is a real case and it's called Canada's Wendigo Murders. So if you're anything like me, you ask yourself, what is a Wendigo? So a Wendigo is a cannibal spirit that the Cree believe in. And it is believed that it can take over a person and compel them to eat other people. So it's a cannibalistic spirit is what they think it is. So the Wendigo is part of the traditional belief system of a number of Angoquin-speaking peoples, including the Ojibwe and the Saltu, the Cree and the the Naskapi, and the Inu. In Cree communities and legends, in an article I found by Lamarck Wicks, he said, according to my friend and fellow scholar Caitlin Elm, who is tall Cree, When she was young, she was told Wendigos are so famished that they eat their own lips, so they always look like they're bearing teeth. Once they have tasted human flesh, there is no going back. And historian Nathan Carlson describes Wendigos in this way. Though Witikiwa was regarded by the native people as a type of supernatural or supernatural condition that compelled its sufferers to bouts of rage, insanity, and if the condition went unchecked, homicide and cannibalism. Moreover, it was often believed that the only way to stop a Wendigo, if cures were unsuccessful, was to execute the sufferers by beheading them and then burning their hearts over a funeral pyre. In fact, There were reports of people recorded in history of actual human beings asking for help because of the symptoms and some even asked to be killed before they succumbed to the Wendigo's urges. And During the 1800s, and I have to make a note that this was a tough time for the Cree people as there was famine and food scarcity. In a study of the world word and cases related to its Canada, a study or article I found described, quote, the noun windigo, Ojibwa, wintico, and Cree, witiko, refers to one of a class of anthropog... Sorry. <laughs> some of these are a little bit more difficult for me, um, so just bear with me with some of these pronunciations. Anthropogus monsters or supernatural from a non Angloquin perspective who exhibit grotesque physical and behavioral abnormalities and possess great spiritual and physical power. Either many or all Wendigis were once human beings, transformed usually irreversibly into the monstrous condition. In some cases, the transition was conceived as rapid, while in others, the condition could be converted and voluntarily disguised. The phrase "windigo psychosis refers in academic literature to an Engelkwein-specific psychiatric disorder whose sufferers experienced and acted upon obsessional cannibalistic urges. In the same article, The Explanation of the Windigo Psychosis, it seems that there are two perspectives. The first is that this psychosis occurred when there was an incredible famine and food was scarce, which was true at the time. The other is that the disorder never existed and that it was just an excuse to execute the mentally ill and disabled. And I have to make a side note. Um. I'm not too sure about the history behind this because I know in Western culture, a lot of these things did happen. We look at the Salem witch trials, which I hope to cover maybe um, for spooky season, but you guys let me know if you guys are okay with that. Um, a lot of those things happen with with people who had you know, diseases or conditions that they couldn't control. Like for example, epilepsy that was back then looked at as like you were possessed by a bad spirit when in reality it was just a medical condition so I'm not too familiar with how uh, Native American people or specifically the Cree um, saw people who were possibly mentally ill and disabled how they treated them in their communities because from what I understand things in their community are totally different from what Western society showed back then so I can't 100% say that what these people who wrote these articles have said is true so I just want to give you guys a little bit of insight and if you know one of my Cree listeners if I do have a Cree listener can possibly clarify that for us that would be great so yeah so just a give you all a bit of also historical context that this is actually recorded in academic journals. What I'm reading from is an academic journal and studies, which I will have in my show notes if you also want to read about it, because I thought it was fascinating that there was something called the Wendigo psychosis. You don't really hear about this in academic journals. You mostly hear about it through legends and myths and just through family. I think it's Really, really interesting to have something like this available, so I will leave it there. You guys can take a look at it so what was this case about? Um, who were the victims of the Canada's Wendigo murders and who was the perpetrator so the reason that I actually or the way that I found this was also on a podcast I want to shout out Wicked and Grim I like their podcast I like their content it's a little bit different than what I do but I definitely recommend it if you want to add it to your repertoire of podcasts but anyways I listened to it on there and I decided to do a little bit more of my own research and actually through the articles that I found was this case and the picture of actually the person who did this? So, let me tell you a little bit about um, Swift Runner. So, in the 1870s in Fort Saskatchewan, Canada, there was a man named Swift Runner or Kakisi Kuchin. He was said to be a good man who provided for his family. Swift Runner had six children his mother and wife. He traded with the Hudson Bay Company, and in 1875, he served as a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police, which you could say is the RCMP now. And being an able man who was also six foot, or it's said that he was even taller than six feet, he was very useful in the community. But like many Native Americans, when settlers first introduced alcohol to the community, for some, it was too much and it became an addiction. Over time, though, Swift Runner developed a taste for whiskey, possibly because he'd lost his ability through time to hunt and take care of his family and fell into alcoholism. Making things worse, Swift Runner was an angry drunk and his drinking habits got him into trouble. First, he was fired by the police force. Then, he was kicked out of his tribe because of his violent tendencies. In the winter of 1878, Swift Runner took his family, his wife, six children, his mother-in-law, and brother, out into the forest. Several months later, as spring rolled around, Swift Runner staggered out of the woods and into a nearby Catholic mission. When the priests asked what was wrong, Swift Runner said his entire family was dead. He said he hadn't been able to find any food during the winter, and slowly but surely, all his relatives had starved to death. However, the priests were somewhat suspicious. Swift Runner looked pretty healthy, and he was had not lost any weight. He actually had quite a bit of a glow to him, is what it said in the articles that I read. So why hadn't he also succumbed to starvation? Plus, they need quite a few other Cree who'd had a pretty successful winter hunting-wise. The priests were also disturbed by Swift Runner's constant nightmares. It is said he would wake up in the night screaming at the top of his lungs. The last straw was when Swift Runner tried to lead a group of children out into the woods, which, yeah, <laughs> when I read that, I'm just like, oh my God, ew, ew, ew. So, I'd be shocked, like, what is going on, sir? What, do you, what business do you have with the children? <laughs> so, Priest then reported this suspicious behavior to the police. Once the police got involved and asked Swift Runner what happened, it said that he told them stories that didn't make sense until he finally took them to the campground. There, the police found a gruesome scene. There were bones everywhere, some broken in half and hollowed out. That could only mean one thing. Someone had snapped them open and sucked out the marrow. Their suspicions were confirmed when they found a pot of hu- a pot full of human fat. So, you know, it's it's not I think at this point hard to to say or to think that It was Swift Runner who had done this to his family. So that's when Swift Runner confessed to eating his family because of the Wendigo spirit that had possessed him. At first, he said he had become haunted by dreams. A Wendigo spirit called to him to consume the people around him. The spirit crept through his mind, gradually taking control. Finally, he was Wendigo. And Swift Runner was no longer. Then the Windigo killed and ate his own wife. When this accomplished or when he finished doing this, the Windigo forced one of Swift Runner's boys to kill and butcher his younger brother. It was later shown that he had also done away with Swift Runner's brother and his mother-in-law, though he acknowledged that she had been a bit tough. So let's talk a little bit about his trial. The mounted police took Swift Runner and the mutilated evidence back to Fort Saskatchewan. The trial began on August 8th, 1879. The judge and jury did not view the Wendigo idea in the same light as the Cree. And how could they? I mean, it was a, a jury of all white men. They saw Swift Runner as a murderer and he made no attempt to hide his guilt. The stipendiary, Magistrate Richardson, quickly sentenced him to be hanged. However, the sentence presented a problem. The police had never before conducted an execution. Although the Hudson Bay Company had once hanged an employee for murder, this was, by all intents and purposes, the first formal execution in Western Canada. Staff Sergeant Fred Badgley, a force bur- bugler, was put in charge of the arrangements. So they basically had to make a special gallow for Swift Runner for him to be executed. And um, back then, I don't know, people were, I would say, a little intense. I, I mean, granted, they had nothing to do that was better. Uh, so they would attend these hanging as as like a form of entertainment I could never understand that I feel like there was a lot of trauma back then and children were traumatized everybody was traumatized but they didn't know any better um so yeah they had to make a special gallo for him they hadn't hanged anybody before he was the first man to be hanged in this specific location and they needed to do all of these things to make sure that it was an effective hanging. Um, so yeah. And Swift runner was executed on December 20th, 1879. And so, like I said before, he was the first man legally hanged in Alberta, Canada. So let's just, I want to talk a little bit about this case and my opinion, because a lot of it is based on this lore of the Wendigo, right? So there are, I think, a lot of, you know, points that uh, Swift Runner had and a lot of points that logically as humans we have. uh, And some people might call me crazy for being like trying to, I think, um, not justify this, but in saying Possibly he was possessed by something. I'm a person who believes in spiritual things and I can believe that this possibly happened because what kind of man would want to eat their family. I think that the conditions of the forest and in being in a remote place, you know, and it, it definitely depends on access because what if they couldn't hunt of course, food would become scarce and there are plenty of recordings of people eating people for survival. But, um, so I can't 100% say that that's what happened in this case because from what we heard in with the priests, a lot of Cree men had really had a good winter in terms of hunting and knowing Swift Runner's strength. Sure, he was an alcoholic, but in knowing his strength, he could have easily went to hunt for, you know, his, his family's food. And he not only had himself, he also had his children, he had his wife. So he wasn't alone in that sense. And it's said like in the cases that I looked through is that a lot of Cree people in trying to get rid of this Wendigo spirit or in the spirit trying to possess them, sorry, um, they would have a lot of bad dreams with this spirit. And so that's when they would go and try and get help. And so that leads me to like an uncertain opinion, because for me, I think possibly this could have happened. Possibly he could have been possessed by some entity. But then there's the other part of me that says, well, he tried to make up, all of these excuses he was not leading police in the correct way so was this premeditated is this why he took his family out to the forest you know and for what reason and also in trying to lure children wouldn't he have already had like his fix of human flesh and possibly more food because at the Missions, they have food to give to people. Wouldn't that have sufficed? Or was it a more macabre thing where he actually enjoyed the taste of human flesh? So I'm torn on this case. I can't really talk smack about Swift Runner, so that's my opinion. But let me know what yours is. I'm going to post actually his picture on instagram and the pictures of the crime scene so you guys can also take a look at it and i want you guys to try and make your own opinion what do you guys think please let me know email me get on my instagram i have a facebook i am there let me know what you guys think about this okay so thank you everyone for listening and if you enjoyed this please leave me a five-star review on apple podcast spotify and amazon music Not telling y'all what to do, okay? Just help your girl out. And recommend me to your besties so I can keep telling these spooky stories. Follow me on all my social media handles that are linked in the show notes below. And send case suggestions and make sure to like clear out your Gmail because I don't know what's going on with Gmail these days where they're not letting you send stuff if the other person's email is too full or if your email is full. Weird, but... I don't know. Anyways, send me case suggestions at podcast at gmail.com. Especially less well-known cases, even spooky stories. Let me know, okay? And I'll catch you guys here next time. Bye!